Are we doing Paradigm? Let's go. Let's go. So pumped to be with you tonight. My name is Josiah, and if I haven't had the chance to meet you, hopefully I'll get to meet you after service. We do this every week, and what I love about this video is it embodies who we are as a ministry. This is who we are. This is what God has called us to do. Well, I'd like to start out by sharing a picture with you tonight, introducing to you someone 14 years ago to be exact. It's this guy to the far right. It's coming. There he is. Uh, red solo cup and all. I wouldn't trust that guy. Uh, that guy has a lot of things right there. Uh, that guy is a porn addict. He is a, uh, a guy looking for the next uh, sexual experience. He is an alcoholic. Uh, this guy is narcissistic to the core. Uh, this guy um, is materialistic, looking for the next high in life. And so what I needed in that moment was a paradigm shift, which is a change of thought, which leads to a change of action. And I think a lot of you here tonight come into this place, and you might be in a similar place that I was 14 years ago, and, and, and this is what God began to do in my life. He pulled me out of that, style, that lifestyle 14 years ago when I found myself a junior in college. I was getting off the bus my junior year, and uh, I was playing baseball at the time, and I started asking myself the question, is that it? Because if these things aren't going to do it anymore, what's going to do it? Have you ever been there? Maybe. And I remember God arresting my heart at that time and went back to my apartment, and the roommates and also my teammates at the time were getting ready to go out to the party. And I said, I'm taking this one off. And I began to examine the evidence of Christ in that moment, and God began to arrest my heart over the next few weeks. And then the next summer, I find myself coming up to Kansas City, Missouri, out of all places to play in a college baseball summer league where guys from all over the nation converge and they play about a 40-something game season, summer season. And I found myself uh, having a, a host family at that time, and what are the chances, but my host dad was the chaplain for the Kansas City Royals and the Chiefs. And he began to invest his life into me, and then that Sunday morning came along, the first Sunday morning I was there, and I said, hey, where are y'all going to church? And they said, abundant life. And I said, awesome, sign me up, I'm ready. And so I jump in the car with them, and I come, and I sit on the front row, like many of you right now are in the front row, and, and I began to take notes. And I began to write as much stuff as I can write down because I knew God was doing something in my life at that time. And then I went back to my host family's house and I said, I got to get some more of that. And so we came to the second service. I got in my car and I came back for the third service because I couldn't write fast enough. And I found myself back in this same auditorium. This is where we met 14 years ago. We met right here in this building. Fast forward, I meet the lead pastor of Abundant Life, Pastor Phil Hopper, and I began to realize that he was the real deal. He was the same off the stage as he was on the stage, and he began to invest his life into me, and then shortly after, I get baptized right here, right here. And baptism is just this idea of, of that of you would uh, publicly declare your faith outwardly before people, of an inward commitment that you've made. And as you go underneath the water, it shows that you're dying to self. And as you come up out of the water, it shows that you symbolizes your new life in Christ. And fast forward in January 2014, five years and some change. 
a move up to Kansas City to start a young adult ministry, what is known today as Paradigm. And just a few months ago, my wife and I find ourselves wrestling with the decision to take a position in Dallas, Texas. And so we begin to pray, we begin to widen the circle and invite our community to come in and weigh in on this decision. And it, it came to a point where I couldn't deny the call of God on our life any longer. And we took the job. And we'll be moving down in just a couple weeks. And it's like, how did we get here? How did this guy go so far, that was so far from Jesus to be a pastor? The furthest thing from my mind, I even said, hey, God, call me to anything else but a pastor. <laughs> Better be careful what you ask God not to do, because usually he does the thing that you don't want him to do. Now I can't imagine doing anything else. And my last five and a half years have been an absolute joy. Hard times, lots of tests, lots of trials, but an absolute joy. I've been able to do ministry with my best friend, Chad Glover, if you're new here to Paradigm, and I cannot wait for you to meet him. Well, he is one of the most uh, <clears throat> on fire, passionate dudes I've ever seen. When it comes to following Jesus, I've been able to do ministry with um, a father figure and a mentor of mine for 14 years, Pastor Phil, and some of the most talented leaders and young adults on the face of the planet who serve so sacrificially each and every week here at Paradigm. And for that, I'm incredibly thankful. It's been an unbelievable privilege, and I look out there tonight, I see some of the faces of people who I love and care for deeply. So tonight, this is where we're going, we're pulling up to a place where I want to share eight lessons that I've learned over the last five plus years. Eight lessons that this ministry was built on while serving here at Abundant Life and Paradigm. Certainly not an exhaustive list, but eight lessons nonetheless. And so I would encourage you to open your hearts and minds and, and then you would take out a piece of paper or the notes app on your phone and you would write some things down because I believe that God wants to do something tonight. And it will be a little different as we survey the scriptures. It will be like drinking from a fire hydrant at times. But I ask that you would lean in because I believe that these are eight lessons that are not just for me. And certainly these aren't lessons that I've learned from myself. I've learned these lessons from wiser people than myself. But these are lessons that I've stolen and I hope to give back to you tonight. First lesson is this. Pray and abide. <clears throat> Pray and abide. Look at what the scripture says in Mark 1.35. It says, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he, who's he, Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place. That's important, circle, solitary place. And there he prayed. What we see here is Jesus, God in the flesh, gets up to pray. Jesus valued prayer. I wonder, do you value prayer? This idea of moving to a solitary place where you can unplug from all the distractions in our life and in the world. Where you and I would sit with the creator of the heavens and the earth. And we would commune with him. You see, I think one of the first revelations we're going to see when we get to heaven is that prayer works. Like we're going to get up there and, and, and we're going to say, wow, you were really listening, God. 
talking to you was really doing something. There was this alignment, God, that you were trying to do in my heart. You were trying to align your heart with my heart. And your thoughts with my thought, or with your thoughts, and my actions with your actions. I think we're going to say, man, I wish I would have done that more. There's, but there's just some part of me that doubted that you were actually listening, God. That you were actually uh, hearing what was coming out of my mouth. And, and this is what I'm learning. A, a needy heart is a praying heart. Dependency is at the heartbeat of prayer. When Jesus tells us in John 15, 5, that apart from me, you can do nothing, he is inviting us to live a lifestyle of dependence on him. If you're not praying, I, I, I need you to hear this. Lean in. If you're not praying, then you're quietly confident that time, money, and talent is all you need in life. If, if you're not praying, paradigm, listen to me, then you're quietly confident that time and money and talent is all you need in this life. I love what my good friend Chad says. He says, prayer affects what you expect. Prayer affects what you expect. In other words, hey, if you don't expect anything, if you don't expect God to use you in a mighty way, then why would you pray? But if you expect that God is going to use you, man, it, it changes everything. It makes complete sense of why you would pray. So why wouldn't you pray every day? If you desire marriage, why would you not pray for your future spouse every day, not just to meet them, but that God would align your heart with theirs? You can pray for whatever you want because God knows what you want. Ask him for what he wants, though. Just ask him for what he wants. You can ask for whatever you want just in line of asking him, God, if my heart isn't aligned with yours, would you expose that? Would you bring me to a place where I want what you want? Would you change that in me, God? Jesus says this in John 14, 13 and 14. He says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Later that night, Jesus and his disciples, it goes on to tell us that he is the true vine and we are the branches. In other words, he is the true source of life that none, none, excuse me, <laughs> back up. This is what he's saying, that life isn't found apart from him. See, see, some of you tonight, man, you, you, you think that life can be found apart from him. Like, you would never say that. But, but that's how you live. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but that way ends in death. How much longer are you going to be, keep, how much longer are you going to keep chasing death? John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, we can do nothing. Six different times Jesus says, hey, ask and I will give it to you. Ask and I will give it to you. Ask and I will give it to you. Six times. But many of us believe, don't believe this because we tried and we didn't get what we wanted. Or, hey, we went to God and, 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 and we prayed and we asked him for something and then, and then he didn't give it to us so we thought we had less faith. Maybe it's a faith thing, and, and, and man, I don't like to, I don't, I don't like to uh, be wrong, or man, I don't like to lose, or maybe that's how you think. I don't, I don't know where you're, you're at tonight. Maybe you ask, is my faith real? 
If he's not hearing from me, if I'm not getting what I want, is my faith real? See, the problem is not so much with our prayers. The problem is actually with our lack of abiding. Because as we abide and spend time with Jesus, as we open up this book, 66 books of the Bible, as we open up this book, we say, God, I want to hear from you. We say this a lot. God's word is God's voice. You want to hear from God? Open up his book. We believe that this is the written revelation of God, that all scripture is God-breathed. You want to hear from God? When's the last time you opened up his word? Because as you open up his word, guess what? I'm telling you, it happens all the time for me. He begins to speak. He begins to align your heart with his. He begins to give you a passion for the things that he's passionate about. And guess what? When you start praying the will of God, the written will of God over your life, listen, listen, you're going to experience answered prayers, baby. He is going to begin to answer the prayers that you pray to him. So the problem isn't necessarily you're you're praying. The problem is you're not abiding. You're not spending time with him. So he has no way to get your heart to align with his. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. We take that verse out of context. We're like, oh, God's got the desires of my heart. It must be from God. No, no. Did you forget the first part? Delight yourself in the Lord. Come on. Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? I liken prayer to this, um, to this light that Chad built for me as a going away present. Come on, we, we know this to be true, right? The only way for this light to work is if it is connected to the source. If, if this cord connects to the power source, right? That's, that's simple, right? I, I, I can spend all day turning this thing on, flipping the switch, right? But until this cord is connected to the power source, listen to me, it's not going to work. The cord has to be connected to the power source. And listen, we, 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 we love light, right? Especially in dark places, Because what does it do? It brings light to the darkness of our lives. And listen to me, listen to me. You know this. Many of you know this. Lean in. You can do nothing apart from Christ. I share this with you tonight because if you don't connect to the power source of Jesus Christ and you abide with him and he's with you, you will do nothing. And a lot of you right now, like I was, man, oh, I can do a lot apart from God. Yes, you can. Physically, you can do a lot apart from God. But listen to me. Listen to me. You won't do anything spiritually for all of the, for for the kingdom's sake. You're going to stand before God and everything's going to be burned up. You won't do anything apart from Christ. And so this is a picture. It's a simple picture. We know this to be true. But this is a picture of us spending time with God. Because we know that apart from doing that, we won't do anything. We won't do anything significant for his kingdom. Through this transition, man, I've been sad. I've been excited, I've been scared, I've I've fed my fears at times. 
became overwhelmed at the idea of being in a new city with new schools and a new community and not knowing a whole lot of people and a new church and anticipating the problems, which is funny because it's just Dallas. It's not like I'm going to Aleppo, right, in the Middle East. <laughs> but, but as I look back and I look at the, the weakness in my heart that surrounds this decision, I see how much more I need God. See, as you, listen, listen to me. As you sit with God, he begins to breathe life and strength back into those areas of weakness. See, we, we say this a lot, but if dependence is the goal, then weakness is to your advantage. This is why Paul says, hey, I boast about my weakness. Who's going to boast about their weakness? I guarantee that not many of us are going to stand up in this place as we leave here and just start confessing all these things that are weak in our life. Like, that would be weird. Why does Paul say that in 2 Corinthians 12? He says, I boast about my weakness because when I'm weak, you're strong. Are you needy? Are you dependent? See, if you want to know how dependent you are, there's a real simple test I can give you. How much did you pray today? How much time and energy and effort did you spend with the Father today? This will directly tell you your dependence level, at least today. If you're like, I didn't pray a whole lot today, I didn't spend a whole lot of intentional time with God, some of you are thinking, wow, I didn't wake up and I didn't spend any time in prayer. I didn't spend any time focusing on God. I would just tell you, my friends, this is the most loving thing I can tell you tonight. You're not dependent on God. Listen, listen, men and women always say what they think, but they do what they believe. You can, you can say all day long, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian, I follow him. And if your life doesn't reflect what your words say, listen, you're wrong. It's an intellectual belief. Listen, I was an intellectual believer for 22 years of my life. I knew it here. But men and women always say what they think, but they do what they believe. Let me tell you something, and this is going to sting. Intellectual believers go to hell. And you're like, did he just say, what did he just say? James says, even the demons believe and they tremble. That hit me like a ton of bricks my junior year in college. Behavior always follows belief, my friends. You say one thing and you do another thing, listen to me. It's not real. Listen, and listen, i got to say this. I'm not talking about perfection. I just told you, Paul's saying, I boast about my weakness because when I'm weak, he's strong. I'm saying that you, you're the kind of person that comes into a place like this and you leave and you just keep making excuses after excuses after excuses for your sin. I did that. That was me. That was the, me in the picture. I compared my life to everyone else. When you do that, you can always find someone worse than you, even when you compare your life in the church. And when you compare your life to other people, you find someone worse than you, which gives you security in the fact that you're not that bad. Come on. But when I stopped comparing my life to everyone else and I started comparing my life to the holy, perfect God, my mouth stopped justifying. 
See, Jesus' whole job description, his criteria of what he does is, is he's a savior. He saves people. To save people, there must be somebody who needs saving. If you're like, I'm going to get to God because of what I've done or because of who I am or because I tried by all these efforts, I'm good, then you don't need saving. You getting into heaven with God forever starts with you saying, I need saving. I can't do it on my own. I keep running back to the same empty wells like a dog that returns to his vomit. The scripture says a fool that returns to his folly. Is that you tonight? Do you know what you need to get to heaven? Need. Need. What, what you need the most to come to God is to be in a place where you recognize how much you need him. How, it's not how fast you are, it's not how smart you are, not how good looking you are, how gifted you are. That's not going to help you. You need to realize that apart from him you can do nothing. But, but, but do we believe this tonight? Like some of us, man, if I was to ask you, hey, if you were to stand before God, what would you say? You'd say, well, because I'm a good person. Oh, because I go to church. Oh, because, you know, I read my Bible. Ah, oh, we're the cross. Listen, listen. The Bible says very clearly it's by grace you've been saved, not of yourself. It's a gift of God so that no man or woman may boast. Listen, if you could get to heaven by you, what was the point of Jesus dying on the cross? Come on. You know that to be true. But do you live in light of that? Lesson number two, avail yourself to the work of God. This, this word I veil just means to make yourself available to the work of God. I believe God is going to do something incredible today. And I pray that our hearts will be solely devoted to him, that he might choose to use us to do amazing work in and through this. This is my prayer. What if this was our prayer collectively as a whole, 500 plus young adults, that we would say, I believe when we wake up in the morning, I believe God's going to use me today in spite of me. He's going to do something amazing through me today. One of the guys I'm in community with was at Messenger Coffee in, in the city, and uh, he was hanging out drinking coffee, and um, he, he began to pray, and he's like, God, would you, would you, uh, man, would you use me? And, and the Holy Spirit just kind of took him to a, 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 a guy, like lasered in on a, and a young man that was sitting there, and as soon as that guy got up, he got up, and, and their paths intersected, and he just said, hey, my name's Luke, what's your name? They began to talk, and Luke began to ask him questions, and he's like, man, what are you doing in Kansas City? Well, this sounds crazy, but I, I travel from the East Coast, and man, I'm, I'm, I'm moving my way to the West Coast because I'm, I'm, I'm on a spiritual journey looking for truth. What? And, 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 and uh, Luke's like, lay up. <laughs> and, and Luke begins to share the gospel with him. And he's like, man, what are the chances of us being in the same coffee shop in the city me getting up at the same time as you, our paths connecting, and me being able to sit here right now to share the gospel. God wants to use you, Paradigm. You. We say this a lot. Ministry off the stage is just as important, if not more important, than ministry on the stage. It's not about Chad. It's not about me. It's not about anyone up here on stage. It's about a collective group of young adults that says, God, I want to be used. I want to be available to whatever you would have me do. Look at where we get this from. 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says this. For the eyes of the Lord go to and fro, ranging throughout the whole earth. To what? To strengthen those whose hearts 
are fully committed to him. Is your heart fully committed to him? Listen to me. When you make yourself available, even you, even the mess of you, it's amazing what he will do. You're like, I'm never going to talk about that. I'm never going to talk about that abortion. I'm never going to talk about that alcohol that consumed me. I'm never going to talk about that porn. I'm never going to talk about those gossiping moments that ruined a lot of relationships. I'm never going to talk about any of that. But you begin to talk about that abortion. And he sees freedom from that abortion as you begin to repent from your sins and you speak them out. And this is what God does. He takes your mess and he makes it into a message. He takes your message and he builds an entire ministry around it. An entire ministry for you to be used to what? To, 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 to have a platform for you to share your story. So he takes your mess, makes it a message, takes your message, builds an entire ministry around it. And guess what he does? It's like he gives you a key where you go around and you unlock the prisons that you used to sit in yourself and he begins to use you in spite of you to what? To make much of his name and to reconcile humanity to their creator. You have power and authority, it says in the scriptures, to help other people find freedom. Listen, listen, listen. What, what else do you want to do with your life, man? Like, what else do you want to give your life to? The bar scene? Chasing one codependent relationship after another? Chasing a white ball around the golf course? Pursuing corporate and letting them ring you out? Listen, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves, but those things can easily distract you from the main thing if you're not careful. Listen, at the center of your faith, you find a Savior who is naked and wounded. And the greatest ministry, salvation, came through the crucifixion when he hung on that cross. And I've seen men and women open up about their mess, and God has used them greatly. I've seen girls who had abortions take their message and minister to girls who had abortions. I've seen parents with prodigals become pastors to parents with prodigals. I've seen sexual abusers become Christ's ambassadors. I've seen same-sex attractive remain single for the, and serve for the sake of the kingdom. I've seen drug addicts become recovery addicts. I've seen pornographers become pastors. As we avail ourselves to the work of God. It's just what he does. It, it, it's just what he does. And, and, and listen, listen. He wants to do that in your life. Th this message isn't for the elite. There's no reason why I should be up here. God's just choosing to use a misfit to accomplish his work. Every time I stand up here, I know that there's hundreds of young adults that are plagued with singleness. And, and every time you come into this place, I, I, I've, I've talked to you after service, and singleness is just one of those things. It's like the elephant in the room that nobody really wants to talk about. But I, this is what I know to be true. So many of you are, are on the precipice of compromising your convictions to just get a guy or to get a girl or to get married. And, li and listen to me, listen to me. Don't compromise your convictions. Listen, listen, listen. 
I can't say this enough. Don't lower your standards. Lengthen your patience. Listen, don't lower your standards. Lengthen your patience. I've, I've talked to you about my, my sister. She's 40-something years old. She's going to be up on the screen. She um, literally, I think she's going to be up on the screen. That's weird. Um, I, I think it's coming. If it's not, I'll just tell you her story. Uh, but, but listen, my, my sister is a single 40-something-year-old lady who's never been married in her life, who's never had any kids. She has a passion to be a mom. And she has set out over the last several months to uh, foster children that don't have a mommy or don't have a daddy. And so she's telling her passions its purpose. And so just last week, she went to the courthouse and she adopted these two little girls, Fallon and Neam. And she began to uh, be a mom to them. Is she any less of a woman because she's single? Does she have any less purpose and passion for her life? Do you you know Jesus was single? Do you know Paul, the greatest missionary ever, was single? Listen to me. Tell your passions its purpose. Don't follow your passions. Tell your passions its purpose. And you will find purpose in the midst of those passions. Listen, don't wait until you get married to accomplish your purpose. Lesson number three, reject gossip. Reject gossip. So many people in the world invite gossip in. We want to be entertained by it. We watch shows that are rooted in the reality of gossip and try to find out what the latest buzz is and who's saying what about who. And we as followers of Christ, i got to tell you, we reject gossip as, a, as, as, as we heal from conflict, we prevent it altogether by not tolerating gossip. And so this is how we roll. How many of you heard of the 24-hour rule? Okay, a few of us. We, we've been teaching this the longest time. So uh, maybe 20% of us. Okay, well, we're going to get a lot healthier in this room this evening. Okay, so here we go. Anytime someone comes to me and says, hey, did you hear the, that thing about such and such? I say, whoa, 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 time out, time out. You just invited me into something that I never was asked to be invited into. And so this is what I needed you to do. In the same way that you came to me with great passion and vigor to tell me about such and such and the problems that you're having with such and such, listen to me. I need you to go back to them within 24 hours and tell them what you just told me. And every time I do that, it's like the jaw drops on the floor and i got to pick it up for them. It's like... Like, you just, what, where did you get that? This, this is where I got it. This is where I got it. Ephesians 4, 25 through 27. Therefore, each of you must put all falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's, hey, do not, that's that 24-hour boundary while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. So just this past week, I had a, a, a friend call me up and he said, hey, listen, listen, listen. I, I, I just want you to know that I'm hurt by what such and such did. And, and, and man, I, I don't really know how to handle this hurt. And, and I want you to know that, 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 man, it cut me deeply. And I just said, time out, time out, time out. Hey, hey thank you for, for telling me about your hurt. But, but this is what I need you to do. 
I need you to go and tell such and such. Because I think, here's the deal. I don't think he came to me with malicious behavior or activity. I think he had all the right intentions. But at the end of the day, he just invited me into something I never was asked to be in. And so I just said, hey, will you go back and tell such and such within 24 hours? They said, yeah, man, you're right. I just need to tell him. And I said, this is what's probably going to happen. They're probably going to understand your hurt. And that relationship will be reconciled. And then you're not carrying away that, carrying around that bitterness and that resent and that hardness that has a potential to harden your heart. You know what that 24-hour rule does? It makes gossiping really unsafe. It makes you unsafe for gossip. It makes you unsafe to do evil, which is to say it makes you one step closer to move towards the righteousness of Christ. Proverbs 18.8 says this, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. They're like chocolate chip cookies. They taste good, but you can't live without them. They're unhealthy, and you will wear them (laughs) if you continue to have an unhealthy dose of them. Reject gossip paradigm. Fourth lesson I learned is authentic community is forged, not found. Listen, we knew that community was the key for Paradigm to flourish over the last five years at Paradigm. We have consistently called you week in and week out to get into to get into community, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another as so much the more as you see the day approaching. Young adults will come up after service week in and week out and they'll begin to share their problems and just some issues that are facing in their life. And 99.9% of the time I listen and I, and I am very intently on, on trying to help them. But the question that I will ask them every time, most of the time, is this. Are you in community? Do you have men and women in your life or men with men, women with women? We think that's the healthiest way to pursue community so that we can share the things that we would never normally share with the opposite sex. And so I look at men. I said, do you have other men, trusted brothers in the faith that you can run with? That love Jesus more than you love Jesus. I look at women. Hey, do you have women, trusted women in the faith that you can run with? They love Jesus more than you love Jesus. Are you in community? Uh, the, the number one piece of advice I was given after I came to Christ was this, change your playground and your playmates. Outside of Jesus Christ, the number one piece of advice was to change your playground and your playmates. And I did. I experienced the joy of community back in 2000. In 14, I began to, con- I be- oh, 2014, 2006 or 5, I'm, I know I'm all over the place, 2005. I graduated in 06 from college, yeah, so my junior year, there we go. I began to pursue this thing that changed my life. Why? Because it's God's way for you to get healthy. L- listen, you guys know this. If you get drunk when you go to the bar, stop going to the bar. If you sleep with him when you go over to his apartment or y'all get handsy or you cross the line, then stop going over to his apartment. Ever? Yeah, ever. You're like, whoa, man, you're radical. No, 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 listen, listen. I care deeply about you. Because when you stand before your future spouse and you've just done something over and over, 
to feed that something and you've never had a season of life where you've denied your flesh and you've never built patience and self-control, what gives you the right to think that when you get married and the same eye candy that comes along, what gives your spouse the security to think that you're not going to do the same thing with the eye candy that you did with them? Are you going to have patience and self-control in marriage? No, you won't. Patience and self-control happen right now. When you deny your flesh, when you say, hey, I'm not going there because God's got something better. I want to live a life of fidelity when I get married. I want to have a future legacy. Come on. And so some of you just think God's just out to oppress you. He's out to rip you off. He's the cosmic killjoy. No, no. He's got purpose, man. Even in him saying, flee sexual morality. Because he wants to breed self-control and patience, which ultimately breeds trust in a relationship and a marriage. I've told you this before and I'll tell you again. God used community to take my life from a perverted porn addict, womanizer, partier, where it's all about the next drink, to pastor. How crazy is that when I think about that? I think about, like, God, you can do this for my friends here. It's possible. God plays godly people on my life to start running with. Don't necessarily try and find people that you have everything in common with. Listen, listen, we just think, hey, we got to have the same personality. we got to have the same likes. we gotta have the, we got to look the same, dress the same, believe the same. No, you don't. You find someone that loves Jesus more than you, and God will take care of the rest. I don't need a married couple who has kids to do life with. I need a married couple that loves Jesus more than me. Or at least where I'm at. And we link arms together week in and week out. And we begin to ask each other the questions that don't come natural to you and I. Questions like, how am I feeding my spirit this week? When's the last time someone asked you that? Hey, what are you doing to feed your spirit? What are, you, what are, what are those things that you do to, to stir your affections for Christ? Because I know, hey, if my love for Jesus isn't growing, my love for something else will. Second question, how are you feeding your flesh this week? Because listen, I don't just naturally uh, tell people my sin. That's just not something we naturally gravitate to, right? But in James 5, 16, he says to confess your sin one to another, then pray for one another so you may be healed. So every week I have a brother that looks at me and says, hey, how have you been feeding your flesh this week? And then he prays for me. I'm convinced there's a whole lot of people in the church that are forgiven by God vertically. Because you confess your sin to God and the scripture says he'll be faithful to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But there's a lot of people walking around right now who aren't healed because you won't confess your sin one to another and pray for one another. Last question, I think this is fitting because I don't just naturally gravitate to this either. How am I feeding others this week? How am I, how am I going and, and trying to engage in spiritual conversations with people and share the gospel with people? How do I do that? I don't do it unless I have someone ask me. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. <laughs> and here's what it says. He says, if you don't like correction, you're stupid. Listen, you, did you, he's probably, you're all saying, did he just call me stupid? No, no, the Bible just called you stupid, man. 
Who are you inviting into your life? Lesson number five, we got to keep it moving. Disciple people who are fully his. Disciple people who are fully his. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And he says, listen, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. You know what I believe that? One of the questions that Jesus is going to ask us when we stand before him, if that was one of the last things he said before he ascended to the Father, I think one of the first things he's going to say is, hey, where are your men? Where are your women, ladies? Where are those people that you're investing deeply in? Can I just tell you something? Abundant Life has taught me this. They have modeled this for me. They believe in replicating your life with someone else who's maybe not further as long as you are, and you begin to disciple, you begin to pour out your life to someone. Every time I disciple someone, before I say, yes, I'll disciple you, because it's about a six to eight month to 12 month process, or if you're some people, it takes three years. I'm not calling anyone out. Okay, but, but listen, <laughs> you know who you are. I'm playing. But listen, I look at him, I say, hey, I, I, I will invest my life deeply in you. I'll invite you into my home. You can come hang out with my family. Man, this is going to be not just curriculum. I'm going to pour information and, and translate to that, that information to you. That's a part of it. But listen, discipleship is life on life. So I look at him, I said, hey, you got to make a commitment to me and to God more importantly that you'll disciple at least one person like I'm doing with you once a year. So if you're 30 and you live to be 70, then you would have discipled at least 40 people. Where are your men? Where are your women? Lesson number six, initiate spiritual conversations. My life first, Acts 20, 24, but my life is worth nothing to me. Unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by my Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about his wonderful grace. And so you can't be too busy where you can't be interrupted, and you can't be too timid where you don't interrupt others. All the time I hear stories of young adults that come, and they come up to me and they say, hey, man, I have all these people in these shirts, Paradigm, PKC shirts, and they're always asking me, hey, do you know the gospel? And they're always trying to engage me in spiritual conversations, and they're always asking me, hey, on a scale of one to ten, one being that you're not so confident that you'd go to heaven and 10 be a man you're all in where are you on that where are you on that pendulum and I just look at him I, I smile and I say that's awesome that's amazing because they're initiating spiritual conversations uh, just last week my wife and I Kathy we were praying and and we just said, God, we want to finish strong. We want to end well. And, and we just said, hey, who are the people on our street that we have failed to invite over? And so uh, I picked up the phone and I called this uh, single young adult uh, guy named Teddy. And I just said, hey, Teddy, we want to come over uh, for, for a barbecue, for a cookout. And so last Wednesday we uh, threw some burgers on the grill and some chicken. And we, it was a beautiful day. It was like one of those anomaly days in, in uh, the Midwest in the summer, 70 degrees and and we just hung out on the back porch and we ate for the glory of God and and so we went in the kitchen I popped out that bluebell ice cream come on somebody and so yeah come on and, and so we're sitting in the kitchen I just said hey Teddy hey man do you have a faith he said nah not really I kind of grew up Catholic went to Catholic school but 
And I just kind of think that whole thing is silly. And I said, well, what part? He said, well, I don't really know. And I said, man, Teddy, have you ever examined the evidence of Christ? And right then and there in my kitchen, I just said, man, I can't deny what Jesus has done in my life. I began to share my testimony. I began to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I just said, Teddy, man, I'll, I'll send you some things, man. I'd love to further the conversation. And so we are. But think, think about this for a second. What would my relationship would have been like with Teddy four years ago if I would have initiated that a lot sooner? Seventh lesson that I learned is guard your heart above all else. Proverbs 4.23 literally says that above all else, guard your heart. Think about it. Above all else? Really, God? Above all else? What? Like nothing else? Yeah, above all else, guard your, guard your heart. Why? Because it's the wellspring of life. He literally means, hey, the heart is the cockpit. It's the control center of your life. What you put into your heart will ultimately come out. So be careful, paradigm. Your version of the Bible might say, hey, keep your heart with all diligence. That word keep means the way you keep food in the refrigerator from going bad or from spoiling. That's what that word means. Keep your heart from spoiling. The way you keep your heart from spoiling is being very careful with what you allow into your heart. And listen, I know I'm going to sound like a mom or maybe your grandma, but I want to talk about the music and the, mu- the, the, the movies and the magazines that you read. But listen to me. Listen to me. Some of you ladies are like, I just don't know why I'm, attract- why I'm not attracted to good guys. I know why you're not attracted to good guys because all throughout your college experience, you've trained yourself up to be attracted to the wrong guys. And so you begin to feed something that now has an appetite for the wrong guys. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Don't follow your heart. Listen to me. Inform your heart. See, the world says, hey, follow your heart. Do whatever your heart wants to do. But the Bible says inform your heart. Start looking at the words in that song. You're like, why do guys just want to use me to hook up? focus on what you're watching. Think about what you're feeding your heart. It's like a bloodhound. You've trained it to look at those things. You're like, he's awesome. He makes great money. He looks good. Should I date him? He might carry a Bible even. No, no, no. Inform your heart on what the Bible says about a godly man, and you'll know what to look for in a godly man. How many of you have followed your GPS only to find out 20, 30 minutes later it took you to the wrong place because you failed to put the right address in the GPR? Some of you tonight, some of you tonight are failing to put the truth of God's word in your heart. So it's taking you to places that aren't going to end well for you. And that's the most loving thing that I can say tonight. See, a sign of maturity is when you learn to test your feelings. Feelings are real, but they're not always reliable, meaning you can't always trust them. You want to make sure you fed your heart before you follow it and that you told it where to go. And listen, I'll just be honest. I haven't always done this well. I, I've been terrible at feeding my heart with the right things. You heard my story. And, and, and I just want to just say at, at this point, one of the greatest men in my life that I've seen guard their heart is my pastor, Phil Hopper. Like he guards his heart above all things because he knows his heart is desperately wicked. He's modeled it better than anyone I look at. And Phil, if you're here, and I think you are, man, you are a picture of integrity, 
to me and so many others. You are the man that I've looked for. You're the man that I've looked to for over a decade now. And this is what I'll say, Paradigm, who are you following that is modeling for you what it looks like to guard your heart? How are you informing your heart instead of following it? Last but not least, the last lesson that I learned is to minister through people, not to people. To minister through people and not to people. What we do as a staff is that we train pastors. You're the pastors of this church. You start and lead ministries of the church. You are the church. You don't go to church. You are the church. You don't not like your church or you like your church. You are the church. Some of my favorite pastors are here in this room. And they're equipping you to be pastors to your peers. That's why we have been that's what we have been called to do. Let me show you Ephesians 4:11. So Christ gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers why? To equip the saints, the Christian, the follower of Christ for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The body of Christ is the church. It's why I believe our best days are ahead of us. Because as you come into this place and you contribute your time and your treasure and your talent to the work of this ministry, I believe God is just going to continue to blow the doors off this place. Like he did five and a half years ago when we started in January 2014 with 40 young adults that said, I'll go all in and turn over the rocks and shake the bushes and compel young adults with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe this place will just get healthier and healthier as God continues to work. In amazing ways. See, this is what my pastor Phil did six years ago when he called me on the phone and he said, hey, man, I can't just minister to young adults anymore. I got to minister through young adults. And I was 30 years old at the time. And he said, hey, what do you think about planning a young adult ministry? And as we prayed and we asked the Lord, the Lord made it happen. We moved up here and God started to bring Young adults, many of you. And then about two and a half years ago, I realized the ministry was getting to a sizable place. And, man, I couldn't just minister anymore to young adults. I had to minister through young adults. And so we hired Chad to come on staff, my best friend, a partner in ministry, a man of integrity. And, Chad, I cannot wait to see what God is going to do in the life of this ministry and church through your faithfulness and through the faithfulness of women like Hannah. Hannah came on staff, and then Luke Crabb came on staff, and we just began to build this ministry through the power of Jesus Christ working in and through us in spite of us for his glory. And so in conclusion, my eight lessons in five years are this. Sorry. Pray and abide. Avail yourself to the work of God. Reject gossip. Authentic community is forged, not found. Disciple people who are fully His. Initiate spiritual conversations. Minister through people and not to people. And all of this spells the word paradigm. This is who we are. This is who we are about. And so maybe you're new for the very first time tonight as we have 
young adults that show up for the very first time, you're like, man, who are you? What is this? Well, man, you got an incredible snapshot of who God has called us to be tonight. But all these lessons are completely meaningless unless you're plugged into the source. If you notice, this light, man, it's been plugged into the source the entire time to produce light in this room, in this space. And in the same way, man, if we do not stay connected to the source of Jesus Christ, then nothing else matters. We can have great Tuesday night gatherings, but if you don't stay connected to him outside of this night, then you missed it. 14 years ago, I was living disconnected from his power. And some of you here tonight are living for the party, the bottle, the weekend, wondering if there's anything left, anything more to life. You've come into this place like I did, and you just heard a message about what God wants to do in and through the lives of young adults. And listen, this is what I would say through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God, hasn't just, God doesn't just want to save you tonight if you're far from him. He wants to put you on a path where he can use you. And it's the greatest mission ever to hit the face of the planet. This is the best-selling book of all times. It's the gospel message that has stood the test of time. When everybody says this is a lost generation, God just keeps bringing young adults. He just keeps bringing young adults. He just keeps saving young adults. He keeps saving them from their self. He keeps saving them from their sin. And he doesn't just save them from sin and self, just for sin and self. He saves them so that he can mobilize them. think back to what I would have forsaken if I never responded to the call of God in my life. I would have missed out on first and foremost Jesus and his salvation and the forgiveness of sin through the cross and the resurrection. I would have missed out on launching paradigm and meeting hundreds of young adults and sharing the gospel week in and week out and rolling up my sleeves with many of you to do ministry. And tonight I want to call you to the same thing that I've been calling young adults to for the last five and a half years. I want to call you to Jesus because it's all about him. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, as we enter into a posture of humility, this is why we do this. This is why we bow our head. This is why we lean over as it shows just a posture of humility. I believe Jesus is calling you in the same way he called me. He made a way through the cross. And he's not just calling you to confess your sin and trust him for salvation. He's calling you to live a life of mission. Forgiveness always comes with a future. The mission will go on. Whether you're going to be a part of it or not is still yet to be determined. So tonight, let me pray that you will. God in heaven, under the sound of my voice, as you use a fallible man to to speak your infallible truth, your perfect truth, God, I pray that you would awaken hearts to the hope of the gospel.
and those who have been awakened, God, that you would awaken them to a place where they reject apathy and complacency and they reject comfort and convenience and they begin to live a life of mission. God, you would use them for your glory. Their joy and the world's good. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.